0: Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to Something New. This is a new program in the uh, family of uh, X-Lapsed-related programs here. Uh, this is the Essential X-Lapsed, where uh, I'm going to be taking a look at some old stuff here. And uh, this will serve as sort of I uh, I don't know, a sister show to the main X-Lapsed program while I wait for uh, my shipment to arrive here. Um... I have to assume, since this uh, episode has a bright, shiny number one on it, that uh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually uh, this might be the first episode of this program uh, or of any of my shows that you may be listening to. So uh, the main show here is just X-Lapsed, where I take a look at a current year um, post-Hox-Pox X-Book. This served as my uh, rejoiner to the X-Men family of titles after leaving Probably around 2016, I'd only missed about two and a half years But it, it feels like a lot longer than that Considering just how quickly things happen in comics So it's taken me a little while to catch back up And I decided to jump back in both feet with the uh, current Krakoan era And uh, the main X-Lab show covers my exploits in doing just that uh, As of this recording, that program is up to 185 episodes We've covered uh, basically everything Everything since uh, House of X number one, including some of the more relevant uh, guest appearances of our X characters here. So it's a pretty uh, all-inclusive sort of a situation over there on X-Lapsed. Unfortunately, um, we're caught up. Uh, We're kind of caught up. Uh, I'm kind of beholden to uh, my mail-order comics distributor. So uh, for the moment, I'm all out of books to talk about. Thing of it is, this channel has uh, put out a new podcast every day for, boy, like nine or ten months now. So really, really getting close to a year, and I uh, didn't want to let a pesky thing like not having anything to talk about uh, stop us from reaching that milestone for whatever reason. I I really... Couldn't tell you exactly why it's important to me. Maybe I just want to say that I did it. So you might be asking, um, why the Silver Age? Why are we going all the way back to the beginning here? And uh, that wasn't the initial plan for this. Um, I knew that we were going to catch up on X-Lapsed eventually. I knew we were going to get current, or as current as I can be, being a month behind with my uh, mail-order comics. And I thought about a lot of ways to keep this thing going. Like, what do you talk about when... The main subject is unavailable to be talked about. And I thought about maybe taking a step backwards, you know. We started with Hoxpox. Pox. Maybe we go we go an era before that here. Maybe we launch the Uncanny X-Lapsed and we take a look at the Rosenberg run, the uh, Disassembled into the Age of X-Men, into whatever followed that. I really don't know, because I still haven't read it. Then I thought about maybe doing X-Lapsed Prime, taking a look at the Blue, Gold, Red, Black era, because that's where I was chased off the X-Books. That's where I kind of stopped cold turkey, was right during that run. And I figure, you know what, uh, time heals all wounds, and uh, I get softer just about every day. So maybe, maybe I would uh, receive these stories a little bit better. And uh, especially with knowing what happens afterward, maybe I would be a little bit less um, knee-jerk about the, the color books. But, you know, I started thinking about it here and it was kind of serendipitous Um, Folks who have been listening to the main show know that I'm in the middle of a move uh, A move that I would say that a normal family would accomplish in a couple of days And it's taken me and my wife five months and we're not done yet So it was uh, serendipitous in that I was doing a little bit of packing uh, just a little bit ago And I came across my essential Marvel volumes, you know, the big black and white phone books and uh I-, I wanted to reread them, but I needed a reason to. Being a content creator uh, makes it so you don't have a whole lot of time for the for fun reading, right. Everything that you read really has to serve a second purpose here. It has to create or lead to the creation of content, whether it be audio, whether it be a blog post, whether it just be I don't know, a stream of tweets, whatever. It has to lead to something, and so I've got this wall of Marvel essentials that uh, you know I've read once uh, years and years ago, and I would love to revisit them, but I, I need to make it a multitasker. And I saw the Essential Uncanny X Men number one and uh, thought, hey, maybe this will be, uh, maybe this will be fun, and uh, it's gonna serve a few purposes here. Uh, first, I feel like I lost touch with uh, my X roots. Now, I didn't come in during the Silver Age, I didn't come in during the Claremont days I came in in 1992, so I missed out on a lot of stuff, but I've read back And there was a time where I used to be able to cite X-Facts pretty much chapter and verse You know, Uh, but it has been an awfully long time since I could say that uh, As evidenced by many of the... uh, Statements that I've made on the X Lapsed program, where it's like, you know, it's been forever since I read this. I can't speak to its legitimacy. I can't, uh, I come up with excuses not to make a statement, basically. Now, I figured, why not go all the way back to the beginning here? It's going to give me the opportunity to revisit these old stories, these oldest stories that I haven't read in near and on a quarter of a century, and get myself a little bit of an X refresher. Now, unfortunately, X-Refresher is an even worse name for a show than X-Lapsed. And, well, X-Lapsed is kind of my thing now, I guess. So I'm not exactly lapsed from these, because I have read them before. But I guess time, time while it heals wounds, it also creates lapses. You know, maybe I'm a born-again X-Lapsedist, where i just forgotten more than, uh, more than I ever knew that I knew. <laughs> so uh, that is what we're going to do here, and I figure before we get into it, I want to give a little bit of my history with the book we're going to discuss today, which is, of course, X-Men number one. Now, the first time I ever read this, it was in the Sons of Origins of Marvel Comics, I believe, and I got it from the Kinequat Public Library. And uh, the this is back in probably 1992-ish. I just started collecting the X-Books and the, the X-Men trading cards, and I was really just immersed in X Men. This was like right before the t- the the cartoon started up, so it's like I knew I had that to look forward to. It was just a really really cool time in and uh, a great time to become a fan. You know, I've told the story that the first book I picked up was X Men Volume Two Number Thirteen, which is a uh, right before the Executioner song, and it's a fairly unexceptional story that <laughs> didn't make a whole lot of sense to me back then, but. We didn't exactly have the luxury of waiting around for jumping on points back then And we also didn't demand them So we either came in and and got with the program or we didn't You know, it was just kind of the way things went And the industry, as uh, it was bubbling up into the speculator boom, was healthy enough At least on, you know, by sight It looked healthy enough to where they didn't have to cater So much like they do today, they didn't have to restart everything at a number one. They didn't have to make everything inviting or or give you the illusion that it's inviting because they could afford to lose a reader if a reader isn't enjoying what they're reading, right? They don't want to, of course, but they can afford it, you know. So they were a lot less knee jerk in the uh, in the reboot department here. So I'm reading the blue and gold era of the early 1990s. The main characters in it, we have like Wolverine, uh, Gambit, Cyclops in his belt suit, Psylocke, Rogue, uh, Storm, Colossus. So I get this. I get this Sons of Origins of Marvel Comics from the Kinequat Library. And I was shocked that um, who the original five were. Like, I, I, you know, maybe I would have thought like maybe Cyclops would have been there. You know, because he was the leader uh, around the time I started. Maybe Gene. But I never thought that it would be Beast, Iceman, and Angel as the remaining members of the original team. You know, I'm looking at it as like, where's Wolverine? You know, where's Storm? Where's Colossus? Where's Nightcrawler? You know, you figure... Actually, I probably didn't even know who Nightcrawler was at this point because he was on Excalibur. So I asked where all these other characters were because these characters were just... Not the ones I was expecting Absolutely not and That was the first time I read it And uh, it was weird And as you'll see, as you see when we get through the issue today It is a fairly weird issue And I do remember Trying uh, to convince my mother To let me cut the pages out of this library book Like we would buy the book We would say we lost it and we would pay for it And I would cut the pages out So I would have sort of, kind of a copy Of uh, X-Men number one and uh, she said no, and uh, that was probably the right thing to say. Uh, a little while after this, so probably, boy, probably a year or two after this, I found a copy of X-Men number one hanging on the wall at a comic shop for $200, and uh, I was just like, oh man, I gotta have that. Now $200 for X-Men number one probably sounds like an outrageously low price for, for that comic today, and... It probably was an outrageously low price for the book then, too I don't know what the condition was I never was allowed to actually, you know, lay hands on it But I remember attempting to convince my mother to let me get that as a... uh, My my birthday comes two days after Christmas So I tried to talk her into letting me have it as like a mixed Christmas birthday present And I'm pretty sure I was eh, very close to getting her to say yes And, um... When I went back to the shop, the book was gone <laughs> So definitely by the time December would roll around, it would have been gone as well uh, This was Comic World on uh, Sunrise Highway It was uh, one of the many stores that popped up during the speculator boom Where my town went from having like one comic shop to probably five or six within walking distance It was a, it was a wild time to be a comic book fan And uh, back then we thought it was never going to end probably because I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old and uh, very stupid to the realities of retail and uh, collectability. But uh, let's jump ahead to Essential Uncanny X-Men here. Now, the Essential volumes here, they've kind of been replaced these days by the Epic Collections, which are awesome-looking. They are awesome-looking. I don't own any of them yet, but uh, I'm getting tempted. I'm definitely getting tempted, especially with the deep discount that I find them at... at uh, you know, DCBS and In Stock Trades, they are are—they're calling my name. But uh, I always have a soft spot for these essential books. Yeah, these are the big, thick phone books, black and white art. And uh, they were budget titles. They were budget, or not budget titles, but budget books. They were budget priced because, you know, it was newsprint, like the gray paper with the black and white art on it. And I always wanted to try the essential series uh, as they were introducing them. And I believe they introduced them with, like, There was X-Men, there was Spider-Man, and Silver Surfer, I think, were the first three they put out. And you'll know it's them because they're the ones who have the spine upside down. You know, the spine, instead of going from top to bottom, these went from bottom to top. It was very, very bizarre, and it looks very strange on the bookshelf, but uh, it makes me feel like my collection has a story. So I I like having the weird and wacky uh, (laughs) differentiating spines, but... I wanted to get into these books. They really called out to me. We didn't get things like reprints. The internet wasn't what it was. It wasn't what it is now. So digital copies were not a thing you could really do. Even though, yeah, I'm not a fan of the digital stuff anyway. But if I really wanted to, I could have. But they didn't have that kind of thing back then. They didn't have the capabilities. And even if they did, internet speeds were just so slow in the mid to late 90s. So... I wanted these essentials. What I'm trying to say here, I'm taking the scenic route. Now, even though they were cheap, relatively speaking, they were like 15 to 20 dollars, right? I couldn't fit them into my tight and already bloated comics budget, you know, because uh, comics then were about I think it was they were two and a quarter, 225 uh, American back then, and if you wanted all the X books, that was you know. Almost a dozen books, right? If you, especially if you bring in things like uh, Alpha Flight and Maverick and uh, Quicksilver. All those, you know, side things that are sort of kind of but not really X-Books. Or I guess mileage may vary on Alpha Flight. But one week, I went to my comic shop here. This was Hero Comics in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, the fellow there, Hubert, a uh, really cool guy here, he threw a copy of The Essential Uncanny X-Men Volume 1 in my pull box. Yeah, he saw as though I collected all the X books. He thought maybe I'd want this, and I did. I just couldn't afford dropping an extra $15, 20 bucks at the time. But I'm a coward, so rather than handing it back to him and raising or raising any sort of stink, uh, I, I bought it. <laughs> I had to live off of store brand mac and cheese for a few days after that, but uh, I bought it and I read it, and uh, I really you know had a good time with it. It really. Um, Made me feel like I was uh, looking at history, you know. Um, you know, you know. I love weird comics history, and that I am a certified card-carrying fake-ass comics historian. So, this was a nice brush with history, and this was about a quarter century ago. And uh, I tell you, this was probably the first and last time that I read any of these issues. And so, <laughs> we're going to take a page from the old cosmic treadmill playbook. And we're going to go back to the past now. And we're going to revisit with the X-Men from their very start. And I suppose I could say something pithy like, I hope we survive the experience. But uh, that would be too predictable, so I will not. But let's get into this book here. Now we open in the study of a very exclusive private school where uh, where sits a bald man in a lazy boy. And, you know, this is this first page here, I already feel like I'm experiencing a little bit of the Mandela effect here. Because I could have sworn uh, that Professor X was in his wheelchair on this page. Like, if you would hand me a pencil and paper and say, re, re, you know, recreate this page, draw this page as it looks here, I would have included the wheelchair. So, there's that. Anyway, he telepathically summons his four students for class. So, let's meet them. Front and center is Angel who swoops in overhead, making me question just how large this study actually is. Beast hops in through a window, just hanging there in this featureless void of a room. Iceman comes in and, uh, well, um, you know, again, if you asked me to recreate this page here, I would have had him sliding down a pole that came from like a hole in the ceiling or a hole in the floor, right? Like he was sliding in like a fireman. No, um, he is kinda just pole dancing. Uh, Now Cyclops, he takes up the rear And uh, they all introduce themselves to the readers The fellas immediately attempt to make the professor feel a little bit more comfortable By reclining his lazy boy And adjusting the afghan that covers his legs Total brown nosers Off to the side, Bobby sprays Hank with some slush And it looks like they're about to engage in a bit of roughhousing Angel soothes the sopping beast And now it's time for today's lesson Now it's worth noting here Professor Xavier has not spoken yet Everything he's said up to this point has been telepathic Now he thinks to to his team here He's happy that the teens are able to receive his thoughts And he suggests that eventually There won't be any need to speak aloud to them ever again Okay Uh, Cyclops pushes a training machine into this featureless void of a study And it kind of looks like a forklift or like an order picker But is uh, taking the place of uh, the danger room it seems Now I think the danger room will be introduced pretty soon, but for now, we've got the forklift thingy. Now I'm not sure why they're training in a room with a great big beast-sized window in it. Seems a little bit strange given that the makeup of the school is supposedly a well-guarded secret. Okay, now while the first student that we see train is Beast, the room is suddenly full of trapeze-looking equipment and hoops, which he dives through and around, which puts his agility and balance to the test. Upon landing, Hank asks how he did, to which the professor barks that he'll get his grade tomorrow. The professor, you know, Kitty Pride was right. He is kind of a jerk. Next up, it's Angel's turn. The room is now full of whirly-doos and what's it's which Warren must avoid and evade. He barely manages to make his way through the course, nearly slipping up at the end. Xavier congratulates him on his hovering and recovering abilities. Iceman is then given five minutes of free play. You see, he's the youngest of our group, and he's being treated as such. So for Bobby's free play, he decides to make himself look like an actual snowman, with like a carrot nose, broom, all the all the works here. And this is, of course, before Bobby was, uh, you know, solid ice. He actually looked more like a snowman than an iceman. Beast then hurls a bowling ball in his direction, and it is uh, probably the slowest-moving bowling ball ever, as Bobby is able to have a full-on monologue about it and concoct an ice arc to deflect the bauble by the time it makes it across this room. Though in fairness, we have already established that this is quite the sizable room. Professor X is quite impressed, especially considering that Bobby is only 16 years old. We're going to be reminded that he's 16 years old a lot in these early issues. Uh, we learn here that he's a couple of years younger than his peers, which would suggest to us that Scott, Warren, and Hank are 18 right now. Finally, it's Cyclops' turn, and his training session is... well, basically blasting the bejesus out of his fellow students. Uh, it's worth noting, here he has to operate a mechanism on the side of his visor to open it before unleashing an optic blast. And evidently, he can control the size and like scope of the blast by adjusting the dial on that mechanism. First, he blasts Beast, then he blasts Angel, finally he blasts Iceman, who has uh, erected an ice cube shield to protect himself. Professor Xavier looks on while his students beat the hell out of one another, suggesting that, hey, a little bit of roughhousing is good for them to blow of steam. He then turns on a dime and demands they stop the horseplay and return to formation at once. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with this dude. Uh, this telepathic message to his students is more akin to an assault. Hank claims that it very nearly bowled him over. So, a very powerful mental blast there. Xavier tells the fellas that he senses a taxi pulling up outside carrying a new pupil. A very <clears throat> attractive young lady, which is a creepy thing to say. Uh, worth noting, the fellas are all going to be pretty creepy toward this attractive young lady. And I probably don't need to say... Well, this didn't age well over and over again, so consider this my blanket, this didn't age well statement. Because uh, anytime you're thinking it, I assure you, I am as well. Now, it's worth noting that while Scott, Hank, and Warren are pretty psyched that they're about to be joined by a girl, Bobby couldn't care less. Hmm. Anyway, this attractive new pupil arrives at the school, and of course, it's Jean Grey. Professor X introduces himself as though they'd never met before. This, of course, has been retconned away in the, you know, in the years since. Uh, We would later learn that Xavier met Jean as a young girl following the death of her friend Annie What's-Her-Face, which only makes his apparent attraction to her all the more creeptastic. Xavier explains what the school's all about, suggesting that Jean didn't already know. He tells her that she, like his other students, is a mutant, And that his students are called the X-Men due to their having extra powers You get it? It's now time for the fellas to introduce themselves And it's also the first time we get to see them in their civvies And being addressed by their real names Cyclops is given the name Slim Summers, by the way And uh, he looks like an absolute geek Uh, He's got a bow tie on, he's got plaid pants Was was this like ever a style? Maybe it's just laundry day, maybe he lost a bet Now, I don't remember when they first told us that his actual first name is Scott, though I'm assuming it won't be long from now. Angel welcomes Jean to the X-Men, and it's kind of weird that Angel seems to be poised as, like, the leading man here. He's probably the, probably, like, the fifth highest rating character to me in this book. Now, Jean is, of course, given the name Marvel Girl, which leads to Beast trying to figure out what her powers might be. Now, uh, he, without his mask on, he's drawn to look kind of like a boilerplate, Kirby, no-neck goofball character Also worth noting, Warren, outside a costume, looks like he's around 40 years old And Bobby looks kind of like Eddie Haskell Uh, Scott, while he's not in this panel, he looks a lot like Marty McFly's dad Scott pushes a chair over for Jean to sit in, which she uses her telekinesis to pull in closer Now, this freaks the fellas out, but at least now they have an idea of what it is that she can do Professor X then explains more about himself in the school. He claims that when he was a younger man, and, I mean, he's probably all of thirty years old here, even though he looks quite ancient, with, you know, what with looking kinda like Mr. Wizard. You Remember Mr. Wizard? Don Don Herbert? Frank Herbert? One of the Herberts. But uh, he kinda looks like him here. Now anyway, when he was a younger man, he was distrusted for having his mental powers. He states that the human race was not yet ready to accept people with extra powers and abilities. And so he decided to build a school where mutants can kind of hide out, working to help mankind in the hopes that one day they'll be accepted by them. And uh, for those of you who have checked out the X-Lapsed Origins series over at ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com, this sounds a lot like what we saw in Amazing Adult Fantasy number 14 in the first ever Marvel Mutant story, Featuring Tad Carter and uh, the group that would go on to be known as The Promise. Very, very similar. Xavier also claims that both of his parents worked on the atomic bomb, and uh, that he lost the use of his legs during a childhood accident. Beast then um, forces a kiss onto Jean, uh, to which he's hurled across the room. And, uh, it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Um, I guess that is a bit of X trivia for us, though. If anybody ever asks you, hey, who was the first X-Men to, to, you know, plant lips on Gene? Well, now you know. It was Hank McCoy. Xavier continues his ramble, introducing us to the concept that, uh, not only are there mutants out there, there are evil mutants out there. And, uh, they are the ones who seek to destroy mankind, and it's up to the X-Men to stop that. Now, no sooner does he say this than we shift scenes and meet one such evil mutant. We go to a secret laboratory by Cape Citadel, and inside is Magneto. Or the miraculous Magneto, if uh, we go by what he calls himself. Now, he vows to take the Earth from the humans, and he refers to mutants as Homo Superior. Which surprised me, because I didn't remember Homo Superior being a thing from the very get-go. But, hey, here we are. Now he's watching, via monitor, a test missile being launched from the Cape He then uses his magnetic powers to screw with it The big brains at NASA can't figure out what's wrong And the next day, the Daily Globe newspaper reports that this is the sixth such failed launch Later on that day, all sorts of metallic artillery starts going nuts We got Gatling guns and tanks alike They begin behaving as though they've got minds of their own The troops look to the sky and see a message written in metallic dust. It reads, Surrender the base, or I'll take it by force. And it's signed, Magneto. And I mean, literally signed. It's in cursive, the word Magneto. Which uh, is, you know, kind of precious. Uh, Magneto then launches another missile from a silo and rockets it toward an unmanned target ship in the sea. At this point, our man tires of working remotely, and so he just saunters on in to Cape Citadel. He is naturally mocked for being dressed like a big old goof. And yeah, I should probably mention that, uh, well, I mean, he's most definitely Magneto. Uh, his helmet is a little bit different from what we're used to seeing nowadays. Uh, the, hel- the helmet, instead of having like a thick rim or a ridge at the top of it, um, for a lack of better term, here it has like more distinct and larger horns. Which, I suppose, aids in the obvious uh, evilness of the getup. up um, Anyway, Magneto uses his powers in order to take over the base. As he makes his way inside, he mentions that he'll have to change his magnetic charge from positive to negative. Which, I didn't realize was a thing he ever had to, like, consciously do, but uh, well, we're still learning, aren't we? In an office, Magneto, who is almost completely obscured by a world word balloon, all we see are his legs. It's really, really funny. He informs the Citadel bigwigs that he claims the cape for Homo Superior. He then snags all the soldiers in a magnetic fence, rendering them fairly useless, or I suppose even more useless. Back at the school, Jean Grey tries on her costume while the fellas all peep on her from around the corner. Yep. One of them, I think it's Bobby, suggests that Jean was poured into her suit. And yeah, it's fairly form-fitting. I'll give him that one. Jean, upon realizing that the fellows are perving on her, tells them to back off. Hank calls her gorgeous and tells her not to get mad. This scene is cut short by a psychic command from Professor Xavier. Uh, you know, nobody better be perving on Jean except him. Well, no, that's not actually what he said. He actually gives the, the team 15 whole seconds to report to the study for briefing. They thankfully arrive in time and are advised about what's going on at Cape Citadel. Magneto is identified as the first evil mutant to surface, and the X-Men are told that this confrontation will serve as their baptism of fire. And so, the X-Men suit up and load into Charles's souped-up Rolls-Royce. From here, they're taken to Xavier's private jet, which whooshes them down to, I'm assuming, Florida? Uh, faster than the speed of sound, which is pretty damn quick, isn't it? And so, we're back at the Cape, and the X-Men have arrived. They introduce themselves and are naturally mocked. For their costumes. The soldiers agree to stand down and allow these weird teenagers to do their thing. And so they rush into the base. Cyclops runs right into Magneto's force field and decides to try to blast his way through it. He nearly knocks himself out in the process, but Scott's actually able to manage to break through Magneto's defenses. Magneto pulls back and he launches five of the Cape's hunter missiles. Now these missiles will be attracted to the X-Men by their own body heat. It's worth noting that he does this by operating a control panel, like with his fingers, rather than just using his miraculous magnetic powers. Angel deftly dodges the onslaught. Bobby then hurls some ice grenades at the missiles and actually manages to hit and take down all but one. So, heck of an arm on this kid who, you know, I mean, is even more impressive when we realize he's only 16 years old, am I right? Final missile is hot on Warren's tail. Beast swoops in below and catches the little rocket with his feet. Jean then uses her TK abilities to take control of the missile, and she dumps it in the ocean where it goes boom, likely killing an entire undersea ecosystem and probably really ticking off a certain submariner, but uh, we'll we'll see him eventually. Magneto then hurls a bunch of metallic debris at the X-Men, which Cyclops is able to take out pretty easily with an optic blast. And so Magneto then sets a tank of rocket fuel on fire and sends it in the X-Men's direction. It explodes because, you know, of course, it's a flaming tank of rocket fuel. However, before it did, Bobby, who I want to remind you is only 16 years old, is able to erect an ice igloo shield. Now, the X-Men, while not blowed up, are covered in a whole bunch of rubble, and Magneto thinks he's won the day. However, from the pile of rubble, shoots an optic blast. The X-Men then go full frontal assault on the Master of Magnetism, which basically means that, uh... Well, Cyclops hits him with another optic blast um, Magneto decides here that discretion is the better part of villainy And decides to hightail it on out of there Leaving waves and waves of impenetrable magnetic energy in his wake So he cannot be followed Whatever the case, it would appear as though the day has been saved The Cape Citadel troops refer to our hero's antics as uncanny Before telling them that the name X-Men will be of the most honored Well, I guess that'll be nice while it lasts, huh? We wrap up with Professor Xavier calling his students back home, and check this out. He sort of kind of delivers the line. You know, the line. He says, and now return to me, my X-Men. And that is where we leave it. Next episode, we meet the Vanisher. Well, this was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Um, This was very, very strange to read, especially not having read it in such a long time, and... uh, this really is, like, not my wheelhouse as far as it comes to, uh, to the X-Books here. And I can still remember how weird it was to read it way back, you know, when it was a library book back in 1992, 1993. And, uh, I mean, like I said at the outset here, I, I probably would have guessed that Cyclops would have been an original. Maybe Gene, but uh, not the rest, you know. Um, and also, I mean, I didn't know Diddley. About X-History back then I was still very, very new to the hobby So, like, I see the Beast here And, uh, well, where's his fur? Right? Um, I only knew The, the Beast with fur I didn't know about the, you know, the Amazing adventure story I didn't know any of that stuff So, I see this character and it's like Is that a different guy? Is there Was there a different beast? Uh, very weird I didn't know that he started off unfurry Also, we've got, uh, Warren Worthington here, who I only knew As Archangel I didn't know he was the angel. So, I'm looking for this, you know, the blue skin, metallic wings, you know, sort of sinister looking character here and uh oh, well, that's that's not what we got at all. <laughs> we got the angel. So, uh what reading this issue did back in the day for me was tell me that, you know, I had a whole lot to learn about my new favorite comics team and uh Putting in the work in the years and decades that followed Really made uh, the team feel more like mine You know, it made it feel all the more worthwhile I mean, here I am, like literally looking at history You know, we're not just learning about history We're actually experiencing it Which is one of the things that, uh, you know Periodicals and comics, is. it's very unique to uh, this art form You know, we actually can, in a way Go back to the summer of 1963 Which, you know, actually reminds me that uh, I never read the credits for this issue, so uh, I was in such a uh, in such a zone talking about my history with this book. I neglected to read off the uh, credits, so I'll do that right now. This is, of course, X Men number one at a September 1963 cover date. The story is called X Men. Okay, writer and editor Stan Lee, pencils Jack Kirby, inks Paul Reinman, colors. I haven't the foggiest idea. They went uncredited. So if uh, anybody out there knows who colored this, or maybe you are the person who colored this, please reach out and let me know, and I will I uh, I will, st- I will include a correction. Letters, Sam Rosen, cover price, 12 cents. Now, where do we start talking about this issue here? Um, well, I suppose we can start with Professor X being kind of a jerk, right? <laughs> he was uh, kind of just all over the place here, uh in one panel, he looks like a caring father figure, and the next, he's just like this strict disciplinarian. It's, and I'm pretty sure that that is going to continue for, uh, for at least the first handful of these issues here. He just goes two different speeds at all times here. It's very, very bizarre and very off-putting. Uh, seeing Angel as kind of, uh, it feels like he's kind of being poised as the uh, the central character here. He gets a. I mean, he has a very fantastic look in comparison to the rest. You know, he's got the wings, he can be in the air or on the ground. So, seeing the reason that maybe Kirby would uh, have a little bit more fun drawing him in different poses and just different angles that the other characters wouldn't, you know, be afforded, right? Just being on the ground. So, it's interesting seeing Angel. And I do recall, uh, one of the few things I recall about this era, I think there is going to be a bit of contention between Angel and Cyclops. Uh, in both, uh, you know, uh, not so much seniority, but uh, who's going to be leading and also who is going to be uh, with Gene. So we've got that to look forward to. Now, Scott definitely comes across as, you know, as he usually does. You know, the the quick and dirty on Scott Summers is that uh, he's kind of Xavier's, you know, Brown-nosing lackey, <laughs> for lack of a better term, and here it's uh, very much in that vein. Here, he's the one, kind of running the uh, the training forklift uh, machine thing. Uh, he's kind of a he's kind of the TA to the Xavier School at this point. Beast, very different from what we uh, know him as now. Here, he's kind of a swarthy. He's planting lips on Jean Grey. Uh, very weird. Um, definitely, I mean. I don't want this to be me saying, hey, this didn't age well over and over again But that was, uh, you know, <laughs> a little, uh, little suspect, right? Uh, Bobby was, uh, well, he's only 16 years old And as such, we can probably come to expect a lot of immature shenanigans From uh, young Mr. Drake over the next uh, several episodes and issues Because, uh, I mean, he is just 16 years old Which, when you compare a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old uh, in the same environment I mean, that's just worlds World's a difference, right? <sighs> now, Gene uh, coming in. Gene um, is a little bit more difficult to uh, kind of uh, peg down here, since we know so much has been added to her backstory, right? Like she comes in here and she has like no idea. She doesn't know what the school's all about. She's never seen Xavier before. Uh, when I mean, we know from future stories that. Well, she did know Xavier She was actually the first of these characters to meet Xavier When she was just a child Or a younger child, I should say And so it's weird And it's hard to kind of uh, work around, right? It's hard to kind of remove that from her story And uh, just kind of take it at face value That, uh, yeah, this is the first time she's ever meeting Xavier And she doesn't even know what the school's all about But we'll play more with that As we we learn more and uh, revisit these early issues here a Magneto, the miraculous Magneto here The first evil mutant to surface Um, Well, the X-Men took him out kind of easily, didn't they? <laughs> that was kind of strange here Especially when we get into later issues here And see how how much difficulty the X-Men have In taking down much uh, retroactively lesser foes So it's kind of funny to see Um, I definitely love uh, the idea of Magneto just walking uh, into a... Uh, into Cape Cape Citadel and just saying, hey, this is mine now, and signing his name in the sky. It's just such fun Silver Age silliness, right? Just really, really fun. I'm guessing that he was dispatched so easily. And, I mean, he did retreat. He wasn't really beaten, but uh, he did retreat. He was forced to run away. I, I got it, you know, I mean, they didn't know what Magneto was going to become, uh, you know, in 50, 60 years, so... This was just a way to introduce the team, introduce the idea that there are evil mutants out there who have these miraculous powers, and uh, let the X-Men, give them an exhibition, right? Let them show their stuff here. And uh, they, it was all done very, very well. Cyclops using his optic blasts was, you know, every every shot served a purpose. Bobby taking out those uh, heat-seeking missiles, Angel kind of... Uh, kind of luring that last one to following him so Beast can grab it with his giant feet and then Jean can take it with her TK and send it into the ocean. I mean, this was great use of tandem offense here that shows... And, I mean, this team has not trained together, uh, at least with, you know, Jean. Jean's, you know, this is her first outing here. She didn't even get a training session. So the fact that they worked and melded so well together is uh, pretty cool and a really fun way to uh, just show them You know, showing their stuff And we get a better idea of what they're able to do Now the art is, uh, of course, Jack Kirby And uh, I I think Jack Kirby is a hot and cold sort of uh, artist A lot of people will love everything he does A lot of people will hate everything he does I'm kind of in the middle of that There's some Kirby stuff that I like There's some Kirby stuff that I don't much care for Um, As long as the X-Men were in costumes I thought they looked great Uh, Outside their costumes, though They all looked like... uh, Middle-aged mooks who would be hanging out at, like, the, the billiards parlor And with, like, cigarettes hanging out of their mouths here So I know he has his, uh, you know, he has his go-to faces here And uh, we do see a little bit of that But overall, I mean, I mean, you really can't complain about the art It told the story, it did what it was supposed to do And despite the fact that uh, we weren't really keen on backgrounds in this issue I mean, the rooms were all featureless voids um, Other than that, though, uh <laughs> I, I guess after without all those complaints, I have no complaints. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm fairly certain a lot of people listening to this have already read this, probably several times over. If you haven't, eh, maybe give it a look. Maybe give it a look. It might be uh, a little eye-opening or just a little weird that uh, the books that we are looking at right now on Krakoa and uh, before that, they all started here. And it's a, it's a pretty wild little scene, but... Uh, I think that's where I'll leave it for today. Now, as this show will be running concurrently with the main X-Lapsed show, uh, I probably won't be crossing the streams in so much as uh, the mailbag is concerned. So I figure mailbag items that have to do with the uh, essential X-Lapsed, they'll all be covered here, and main X-Lapsed will stay on main X-Lapsed. So, if you would like to reach out and talk about these early issues of X-Men, I would love for you to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90 Men, And you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrissoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90 Men. Also, for all your Chris and Reggie Comics listening needs, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and that is available anywhere you find noise on the Internet. And if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, uh, I would love for you to share the show, spread the word, just let people know that uh, this little corner of the Comics Internet exists. It would really, really mean a lot to me. Speaking of which, it really means a lot to me that you would spend some of your day with me today, so thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.